Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. I'm Sultan Ghaznawi, your host. Today I have invited Steve Kahner to speak with me about the importance of establishing a specialization for a translation company. This is an important topic that is hotly debated in the translation business circles. Steve Conner is the Vice President and General Counsel of Marston Company Inc. and the Executive Director of Juriscribe, a division of Marston Company that provides corporate and legal translations to major law firms, financial institutions and publicly listed companies throughout the world. Steve is also a founder of and currently serves as the General Counsel for the Association of Language Companies. He is also a longtime board member and currently the secretary of the Spain U.S. Chamber of Commerce. A graduate of Tufts University, Steve received his law degree from the National Law Center of George Washington University and a diploma in advanced international legal studies from the University of Pacific McGeorge School of Law in Salzburg, Austria. He is licensed to practice in New York and Connecticut. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Steve. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on your show. Steve, please share a few words about yourself and uh, what you do. Well, I am currently uh, the Vice President and General Counsel of Marst & Co. Inc., which was founded in 1998, and <laughs> I am the Executive Director of its principal division, which is called Juriscribe, and Juriscribe specializes in the provision of corporate and legal translations mainly to law firms, financial institutions, and larger publicly listed companies. Yeah, and, and how long has Juriscribe been around? Juriscribe's been around since uh, 2000, so, so it's a little younger than Marston Company, Inc. The first division of the company was called Spanlingua, which provided Spanish language communication services, mainly for the Hispanic market in the United right. States. And uh, most of its clients were in the advertising and marketing fields. They still mm -hmm. That's the next question I was going to ask you, like what demographic or what market segment are you looking after at this point? The, the demographic for Juriscribe are basically large law firms, uh, larger corporate entities or financial institutions. Those make up the bulk of our clients. And, and Steve, uh, just uh, shifting gears here a little bit, how did you get involved in the translation and localization industry? Well, I was uh, practicing as a lawyer for about 10 years in the city at some of the right. larger law firms. And uh, because of my language skills, uh, I would often get called in to review foreign language documents, especially in Spanish, and uh, you know would often have to fix the translations. These were, for the most part, sophisticated corporate financing deals. And so I became very familiar with the terminology in both English and Spanish uh, for these large uh, deals, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so that exposed me to the translation industry because we were receiving translations from the service providers uh, on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, that, uh, you know, kind of percolated in my mind when I decided I did not want to be, you know, in the law firm environment anymore after about 10 years uh, I had to decide what I wanted to do and because we had already set up a translation company this was really being run by my wife uh, I decided to come on full-time and create this new division focusing on translations uh, for lawyers by lawyers which is the tagline that we used at the time that is such an interesting story and thanks for uh, sharing it with us uh, since then, Steve, what are some of the major shifts and changes, developments in this industry that you have um, observed, that you've seen? Well, from our standpoint, I think uh, the the rise of the large, very large translation companies is obviously one of the issues. Uh, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, you know, TransPerfect and Lionbridge were the main players. Uh, but there's a lot of new large players in the field. I think that's one aspect, especially 
in the area that we compete in. Uh, the other aspect right. is obviously technology. Uh, it's it's become such a key component uh, to the business, and and it's such a puzzle to put together the right uh, set of tools, both at the corporate level, uh, you know, and at the linguistic level, either for interpreting or translation. So uh, to drill a little bit deeper on that, how did this um, emergence of these these mega MLVs, if you will? How did they complicate things for uh, the standard language companies? Uh, it, it's hard to say from my viewpoint, mainly because our clients come word of mouth and they come for, to us for their expertise, for our expertise, excuse me. So it, it's hard to see, you know, generally how that affects the industry. But obviously, from the sales and marketing side, it's it's very hard to compete with you know a large you know almost billion dollar companies these days uh, who have such deep pockets to saturate the market with their their own particular advertising, uh, and that's you know just that's just something that smaller businesses have to deal with in any any industry. Right. Uh, I've just seen obviously. Now that there's more and more interest in the language services industry, you see these larger and larger companies getting involved. Uh, Steve, that's uh, that's a really nice segue to my next question. Uh, you just brought up the topic of uh, specialization, and and that is actually our focus today to just cover the pros and cons of uh, specialization in the translation business. Let me ask you, how do you define what specialization is uh, in a nutshell? I don't know if there's one way to define it. There, there's obviously uh, companies can specialize in a number of ways. They're based on the language. You have single language vendors, some that only go into one particular language. Uh, so that's one form of specialization, uh, you know, and or a group of languages. Let's just say you're, you know, Western European languages or Asian languages. That's one type of specialization. Obviously, another type of specialization is the industry vertical. It can be legal, it can be scientific, uh, automotive. Uh, obviously, there's uh, millions of different uh, verticals that one can specialize in uh, and still be a multi-language vendor uh, and handle various languages in that particular specialization. And so unlike other industries where you only have certain attributes that you can use for your specialization with, what you, I'm hearing is that in the language industry, you can use one or a combination or multiples of attributes. For example, uh, let's say, uh, as you said, the languages of the Middle East, uh, someone that specializes in legal translation of the languages of the Middle East for a specific demographic, if you will. Is, is that how I understand specialization can work? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, you, you the more you narrow down your market, and become an expert in the field, I think the more, the easier it is in a certain way, uh, because your reliance on advertising and marketing, I think particularly narrows, it, it diminishes, uh, and the clients will actually seek you out rather than having to go and convince them uh, of why they need to hire your company as opposed to many others in, in the particular area that you're talking about. And, and Steve, how does a generalist company uh, move into a specialist mindset? Uh, what motivates uh, a company to pursue specialization? I think the reasons that I've just mentioned are are some very good ones that, uh, you know, it, it once you've chosen a particular specialty area or vertical, uh, choices you have before you narrow significantly. So you can, uh, you know, concentrate on one particular area, one particular specialty, and become the expert uh, and that you know there's a lot of ways to become the expert but you don't necessarily have to have a degree in an industry to become an expert in the industry and so um, it has its advantages there's no doubt about it I think uh, one of the big advantages again is on the marketing and sales side that allows you to concentrate and focus and drill in on one particular topic I'm glad you say that so let's take a, a quick look at what specialization brings to the table in terms of the positives or pros, uh, and you mentioned that uh, obviously you will save a lot on marketing and advertising if you uh, can target a specific um, demographic, uh, if you will. What are, are some of the other positives that we can, uh, you know, uh, obtain from from being a specialist organization? Uh, I think it it the pros. I guess the the pro, apart from what I've already mentioned about allowing you to focus in terms of marketing and advertising. I think in a certain way, it also allows you to focus on your vendors 
and weeding out the vendors that are not necessarily best suited for the task uh, so or fit for purpose as they say so so you become uh, better able to discern who has a skill set that uh, would best serve your clients when you're looking for uh, linguists to work on particular projects that's one example right I think uh, on the technology side it also allows you to focus on which technological tools are, are best suited for your particular niche and and so you 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 know it's always difficult to choose the right tool but at least your choices become somewhat narrower and in fact you can even adapt certain technologies from the industry you're working in, which allows you to better understand the client's mindset. So for example, for 20 years, we've used matter management tools, uh, which the law firms use in order to manage our projects. So they call it matter management, we call it project management. Right. It's the same thing, but it allows us to kind of approach the business with the same mindset as our clientele in this particular niche area. If you think about it, I think as a business owner uh, focused on a specific area or subject matter expertise, I think it also gives you um, a lot of clarity as to which direction you're you're moving and you can focus on as opposed to, you know, being all over the place. I think so, uh, because since I haven't had a generalist experience, it's hard to say whether it's better or not. I, I can think of it there. There must be some advantages to being a generalist. Uh, it gives you more freedom in a certain way. Uh, right. But I, I wouldn't know because I've never experienced that. It's always been a very specific focus. Do you think that the advantage uh, of being a specialist, uh, is it is it something tangible beyond what we just discussed? Or is it something that will garner awareness about your business down the road so people can be attracted to it? You just mentioned that as, as a business owner, for example, it is tangible because you can focus on one thing. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, but there is obviously the flip side that you limit yourself and, and perhaps cut off what might be some very interesting revenue streams when you specialize. So the generalist obviously has the freedom uh, to go where the money is, so to speak, or where the interest is uh, or where the fun is, whatever it is. Uh, you know, as a generalist, you have that freedom. You, you're not locked into one particular vertical. Uh, which which can obviously be a good thing. It's a good time now to talk about the, the cons or the disadvantages of being a specialist. Um, now that we've covered the positives, tell me about uh, what are some of the other disadvantages you're putting yourself uh, in if you are focusing on one area specializing in, in this industry? I think it's the flip side of that specialization is perhaps losing out on business that you could get uh, that wouldn't necessarily be very difficult for you to handle uh, which is in a tangential uh, vertical or uh, service uh, or a related service uh, or even a completely unrelated service that you could still provide if you're completely concentrated on your particular niche, then you know you have blinders on, so to speak, and, and that can be a disadvantage as to uh, other business that may be out there. So uh, to circle back, would you say that um, generalists are at a disadvantage? I mean, some would probably argue that generalists have their place and they're doing just fine. What are the challenges of being a generalist provider? I know you haven't experienced it yourself. I, I would think that uh, generalists would be at a disadvantage for one particular niche area if they're going up against a company that specializes in that particular area. Uh, otherwise, I, I, you know, the only disadvantage I see is that is making your decision on which business to go after. Obviously, to have a wide universe of potential business, how do you decide which business you want? As a generalist, I would think it's somewhat more difficult to make that decision and and to create your objectives uh, from a business standpoint uh, without having at least a few markets and narrowing down the choices uh, to the markets you might want to specialize in. Most business owners are, let's put it uh, blunt, they, they're greedy. They would like to have you know a piece of every pie they can get their hands <laughs> on, right? So how do you convince yourself that not every pie is for you? I, that I can't say. I, you know, I can say that most business owners, if you look out in the world, you will see most businesses don't try and do everything. So they, right. they, they have a particular niche area. It's what they're good at, and that's what they focus on. 
So, you know, one can say that I'm just good at translation generally, uh, and that's what we do, or interpreting, or both. Uh, but, but as you've seen, as I think everyone has seen, the, the world is becoming more and more specialized. Absolutely. And so even in the legal field, uh, you know, a corporate lawyer wouldn't even consider uh, going into litigation, for example, or into uh, patent and trademark. They're, the, each particular area of the law has become so specialized that it's almost impossible to, to be a generalist nowadays. And even within general fields, it's very hard to to be a generalist as just a corporate lawyer, for example. Usually you need to focus on one particular area of corporate law or one particular area of litigation. And so given that specialization, you know, I think the tangential services that go along with them also need to specialize. So speaking of which, uh, I mean, your area of uh, expertise is the practice of, of legal translation. So within that, if you if you drill a little bit deeper right now, there are new uh, areas of opportunity emerging, including, for example, um, using artificial intelligence for uh, discovery material, right? Discovery of materials uh, for that matter. So how can a, a translation company, for example, take advantage of all these these new possibilities that are out there and and, and focus their, their efforts in, in a very niche area? Like, can you define that? Uh, other than to say it's a little scary uh, that, um, you know, some of these technologies are coming to bear and focusing even on our industry. Uh, it's a question that we have not yet solved. Uh, AI is is not even an issue for us right now. We're still dealing with, uh, you know, just implementing machine translation, translation memory, how best can they be implemented? What are the risks of, of using those tools and technologies? Uh, that's enough for us right now uh, to try and wrap our minds around much less AI, which I think is is still got a little ways to go before it it focuses on our industry. How would something um, like AI disrupt the way that we generally specialize, the way that we we look at uh, creating a niche for ourselves? Very good question, and I don't have the answer. Uh, I I think there are two sides. There's you know the linguistic side. And, and to what extent AI uh, is going to enter and potentially disrupt the machine translation side of things. And the other is the business process side and how much AI can begin to automate uh, and take over what is still a very manual process, I think, for most companies, even the largest companies. Uh, and I've heard some of your other podcast participants mentioned that it's you know it's still a very uh what's the word you know hands-on kind of approach it's very difficult to automate the the business process processes when you're dealing with clients um you know especially larger projects uh, that aren't one-off uh, mass market type projects. Going back to specialization, Steve, can uh, a specialist translation firm also provide services uh, that are outside their areas of specialization expertise? Uh, of course they can. Uh, how well it goes, I think will depend on on what the business is. So, so certainly I don't see any reason why, uh, you know, if something else comes along, that you couldn't take on that new business and and do it successfully. And and is that something you do in your organization? For example, do you also have a set of clients that are outside the legal industry that still uh, benefit from your services? Not too much. Uh, you know, I, personally, we would probably refer the business out to another company rather than trying to do it ourselves. That would that that would be my first inclination. Would be to refer the business out, and we've done that. We're saying, look, this is just an area that we don't, you know, feel that we can provide the same level of expertise, and so, uh, you know, but here's some potential other uh, providers that, you know, may be but may be more appropriate for this particular task. At the end of the day, uh, that leaves you uh, time and and space, so you can only focus on what you're doing best. So, how does that appear to a client if? Um, if you're offering services that are beyond the scope of your specialization, like do they see you as as someone uh, 
who's trying to grow or is there is there, are there some negative connotations to that too i think it depends on the client uh you know some clients would appreciate uh that you recognize your limitations and uh, you know think that there's another provider who could better serve them i think many clients would appreciate that especially the professionals uh who who do the same thing for their clients others may you know say what's wrong with you <laughs> you know why don't you want this business uh right. and and so i think in, in in our case again going to the specialization i think most specialists would appreciate you saying that's not in our particular wheelhouse we think you could be better served by somebody else obviously it's risky uh the other company could go after your business so it's nice to have relationships uh, with other companies where you feel comfortable that that won't be a major risk uh, of them going after, quote unquote, your client. Steve, what are some of the challenges and opportunities for marketing a specialist language provider? I mean, you have experience. Would you say it is easier? I would say it's definitely easier uh, because you know the 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 general, I guess, information channels that are flowing to your niche or vertical. So you can concentrate on those particular channels. Legal is huge. So obviously there are many different channels to, to go after that market. But from a marketing uh, and, and even a sales perspective, I, I think it, you know, it definitely narrows down the uh, types of communication channels that you need to focus on in order to reach your client. I wish we were better at it. Uh, we don't do a lot of advertising. Most of our business is word of mouth, which is a nice place to be in. It's it's just hard to grow a business when you're relying on word of mouth. So, uh, you know, we need to start switching over to more marketing and advertising, uh, as we did in the beginning, uh, to, to grow to a particular point. And now we're trying to grow again. And so we need to focus once again on those particular channels. And, uh, you know, apart from generalist social media aspects like LinkedIn and, um, you know, other social media, uh, I think there are publications that we can focus on that are pretty clearly focused on our uh, target market. You know, th there's the notion that people um, like to transact or buy things from people that, that are like themselves. So when you get into um, a specialty uh, category, does that mean that um, your clients feel more comfortable dealing with you? Absolutely. No doubt. If you, you know, it, again, it's the question of the company versus the person. We're trying to get away from, uh, you know, Juris Guy being Steve Kahaner. So we're moving away from that. But, but the company has built a reputation, has a client base, um, and, and can point to a track record that says, this is what these guys do. This is what they're known for. These are the clients they've dealt with. That makes it a very easy sell in a certain way to, to clients, uh, especially in Europe as opposed to the United States where I think reputation has uh, a bigger impact uh, than in the United States where I think the focus is much more on price. What defines a specialty? We kind of touched upon that earlier. Would you say that um, grouping these parameters, such as the type of languages, subject and domains, pricing, or are there other attributes that allow a company to define their specialty? What are those, and and what is um, that sweet spot that could actually, um, uh, you know, prepare you or present you as the perfect specialist in your area? I'm not sure how to answer that particular question. Um, I I would assume that there's many pieces to that puzzle uh, and depending on what your goals and objectives are that will dictate how you want to put together the actual offering and and what you're offering to the clients and what kind of clients you're looking for so um, I'm, I'm not sure I can answer more than that let me put it in a different way so let's say you're a business owner and and you want to focus um, on a specific area IT legal whatever so where does that thought process start do you look at where, what I'm good at or what was the largest project I had to do last year that I, I did it so well where do you start becoming a specialist 
I, I think it comes from experience and interest. I think, uh, you know, interest in a particular field drives a lot of specialization. So if you are naturally inclined towards, let's just say, the creative side of things, right. then you may be more naturally going towards marketing and advertising types of clients. So you may want to go towards, you know, what used to be Young and Rubicam, for example, as a potential client. Uh, you may want to start thinking about ad copy, more creative work as opposed to straight translation, where you're actually providing, you know, the cultural expertise uh, as well, which I know many companies do. And so they're not just translating text, but they're actually translating concepts from one culture to another. Uh, and that can lead into other areas. So some companies that are in the advertising area, you know, eventually move into voiceovers, for example. And, uh, you know, New York City used to be a, a pretty large hub for that kind of service uh, right. because you could easily find studios and, and uh, you know, specialists that would have the facilities necessary to do mm -hmm. that work. Obviously, uh, I think uh, New York City being the hub of that may or may not stay now that everything has become so decentralized and, and you can set up a business anywhere and provide the same level of service. We'll see what happens. How did this pandemic change the dynamics for us? Uh, how do we run businesses differently now, especially if we want to stand out and be specialists in a specific area? That depends on your particular you know, niche area. Obviously, if you're an interpreting company, uh, you've had to pivot pretty quickly and and find new ways to, to provide your service uh, without a lot of the face-to-face on-site uh, needs that that were there in the past. I can't speak to that because we stopped providing interpreting uh, many years ago. Uh, but obviously for the translation companies, especially smaller translation companies, I don't think a lot of us have seen a particular change uh, because many of us were decentralized to start with. And right. so, you know, we, for, from that perspective, our business didn't change at all. Uh, other than that, we, you know, we were no longer working, uh, you know, in a centralized office, uh, but that wasn't the important part anyways. And we always were able to have project managers working from home. Uh, and, and obviously the linguists are spread out throughout the world. So in, in a certain way, we were very lucky and that we were already in a decentralized business mode. Uh, so, so that's one of the advantages, I think, of at least the, the translation side of the language services industry. Uh, another thing that, Steve, I, I see as an advantage uh, is that in the past, obviously, as you said, as a specialist, you had uh, people coming into your office, maybe, um, if you're not decentralized. And, and it was word of mouth that was um, you know, bl bringing in more customers. But now, because you're um, specialized, you could probably run a Google ad and say I'm specializing on this specific area and when people search for it you will show up as opposed to thousands of other LSPs that are competing for the same spot and being generalists. Given how virtual everything has become, do you think that is an advantage that's worth looking at? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and it's it's something that's I guess is a no-brainer uh, but for a company like ours where business has come word of mouth, it's not something we've focused on. But that's certainly now that we're switching gears and and going into growth mode it's certainly something that that we need to focus on and again as a business person you just have so many you have so much resources to focus on so many things and you know it's a it's a it's an issue for one's leadership skills for somebody that hasn't gone to business school for example uh, that had a particular niche training and practice as as the leader of a business organization, one has to kind of expand their their remit in a certain way and be able to focus on, you know, a little bit of process management, a little of marketing advertising, uh, you know, pick up social media skills if you didn't have them before. And these are areas that I personally need to grow in and, and become more familiar with and begin to focus on. So, you know, Google AdWords, for example, one of the big concerns I had with uh, kind of mass marketing is who's going to deal with all the queries if it's right. successful. Um, you know, if we start getting people 
who just need to translate their birth certificates, for example, and, and want to do it at the lowest cost possible, that's not our target client. So how do we deal with an influx of inquiries uh, from clients that are not a good fit for us? And that costs money each time an inquiry comes in. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just don't have the staff to deal with that. Right. So that's one of the reasons why we've been a little reluctant to try and mass market, so to speak. Uh, you know, who deals with with the inquiries and, and figuring out if business is worth the effort or not. I think that's where uh, the definition of your niche or sub niche becomes very critical because if you're still vague about it, then you're getting inquiries that you may not want to entertain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, to support a specialty, what type of a workforce do you need? Uh, should you be thinking about hiring people who have experience in education around the specialty you're offering? How does that complicate things? It's a good question. Uh, when we started out, we were hiring mostly lawyers as project managers with right. the thought that you know they know the clients, they know what the clients need. And, and they would be best positioned to, uh, you know, handle uh, both the linguists and the client demands. That turned out not to be the greatest fit. Uh, it's worked really? out much. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising, but uh, we were we did not find that lawyers were the best in a project management position. I, I think you really need people that love project management. Uh, that love to handle those aspects of putting together the puzzle, putting the projects together, finding the the, the appropriate resources, uh, handling client requests. I think it's a very different skill set and, and a different interest area than most people who go into the law have or or even want. So we we pivoted from that model. Uh, that was, you know, basically when we had to rebuild the business after the crash in 2008 uh, right. and decided that no, we're not going to be hiring lawyers as project managers uh, for now. I mean, it's not that we would turn somebody away. It's just we were not going to be specifically looking for lawyers as project managers as we had done uh, for the first eight years of the company's uh, business. Steve, you brought up a very good point. Uh, after 2008, you had to redefine your company and its focus. Talk to me about that thought process. Where did you start? What did you think in terms of who you're grouping with in terms of associations? I know you're a member of ALC, but where would you hang out for your clients to, to come up to you? Um, was there um, any thought in terms of what processes that you will define inside your company that will be relevant and appealing to your specific type of clientele? Well, again, that's that's the self-selection aspect of specialization, right. uh, you know, because of our particular market, uh, you know, we know that, you know, there are very various bar associations that would probably be uh, interesting for us to be associated with. So, you know, as a lawyer, I'm a member of various bar associations, although I don't, I don't sell when I'm acting as a member of the bar within a bar association. So that's one thing I'm pretty careful about doing. Uh, that's probably not a smart thing, but that's just been my approach is, is when I'm involved in these associations, uh, we're not selling language services. You know, I'm, I'm a lawyer and, and that's my participation in the association, but it does allow me to see who's advertising, uh, you know, who is targeting a particular specialty area, and it gives me those insights to make our decisions on on where to spend our ad money, so to speak. Once you are a member of these groups, let's say in your case, the bar associations and so forth, uh, I'm sure that you have some degree of competition. There, is, there are probably other companies that are in the field. How do you position yourself as the go-to person and the go-to organization where, where all of these people should come for, for these services? That's a product of the deeper specialization. Uh, I, you know, there are not too many translation agencies that are run by lawyers uh, that use almost exclusively lawyer linguists to provide the translations. And so that's a pretty easy way to distinguish oneself, I think. How much the clients care? Some of them don't obviously. So, so one needs to find the clients that actually do care. But the flip side is that those clients tend to be less price sensitive. Uh, they're more interested in your particular uh, expertise and are willing to pay a premium for that expertise. 
whereas other less picky clients would probably be more interested in in you know getting the lowest price possible i think that's an advantage that comes with with um deep specialization as you mentioned now um you know when you are offering your services to such a, a specific set of clients isn't there a risk that you are limiting yourself to a very specific niche and something if something goes wrong with that niche you are basically you know there are major risks to that absolutely absolutely uh i i don't think you know we're so specialized or our particular niche area is going to go away anytime soon but it's always a risk uh and for example you know one area that you know i can say that i've always re- regretted kind of rejecting is the patent area. Uh, we, we did a decent amount of business, uh, a lot of business in the patent area, uh, mostly in litigation. Uh, but because the, the patent area requires even deeper subject matter expertise, uh, you know, usually the translators were not lawyers, but had a scientific background, uh, right. typically chemistry. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable that we could provide the quality control necessary to make sure the clients were getting the best product or service, however you want to look at it, possible. And so we started shying away from that business. uh, And then we saw, you know, the newcomer at the time enter the industry, scale up to very large size in a very short period of time. And, you know, leaving me sitting there, geez, you know, we could have done that, uh, but, but we, well, we didn't want to take that risk. Uh, so, and that's the problem with being a lawyer is, is a lawyer, you're, you're taught to avoid risk. Right. Uh, and so that's ingrained in you as a lawyer is, you know, you minimize risk, you avoid risk, you only do what is sure, uh, to keep you out of trouble. And as a businessman, uh, it's the exact opposite. The, the, a, a business person, uh, thrives on risk. It's the risk that allows your business to grow. The and big so, is the risk, the bigger the reward, right? Exactly, exactly. And in, so, in order to thrive, you have to be able to surf uh, that that you know risk reward uh, binomial, as they say, and and you know hope you don't crash. But at the same time, that's what's necessary to grow. And so that's that's been our particular difficulty is that, uh, you know, we've always been very safe and and that limits your upside in a lot of ways. You brought up a very interesting point, Steve, in terms of um, specialization and, and using a particular set of uh, skills from um, your suppliers, from your, your linguists, so in your case, being lawyers. How is that different from a generalist company? I'm sure generalist companies are dealing with generic translators, which obviously have a lot of value in their own place. So what type of specific problems or issues do you have to deal with when, when you have a specialty like legal translation, for example? Uh, it's like any other vertical it's finding the professionals who uh you know have the expertise have the experience uh to provide what is needed for the particular uh client or area involved so uh you know our difficulty is always we've always had much more difficulty finding uh the right linguists than finding the business and so, uh, you know, that that's like gold is is finding the people who can provide that service, who are professional, um, understand what is required to get the job done. Uh, that is one of the most difficult things uh, in our industry, I think, for sure. Uh, but I, I assume it also applies to almost any industry. But but it seems particularly difficult uh, finding uh, the the right service providers. Given that our industry, I mean, it's not small in terms of uh, the number of people that are in it, but it's small in terms of how it's viewed. Do you think that not enough linguists are specializing that could be filling these gaps? I, th- I think there could definitely be more specialization. I think that's an opportunity for, for any linguist uh, is to become an expert in the field. Uh, just Just as it is for a company, I would think, to a certain extent, even more so for a linguist. But as again, it's got its downside. Uh, you know, you may be turning away business that you could otherwise handle. Uh, it depends on on what you want to do and how you want to grow. Uh, and there are specialists and there are generalists. 
as always. But I think even the generalists have to focus on one domain as opposed to try and cover every domain. There's just too much knowledge out there to to master. So, um, Steve, let me ask you this. If you have a specialty, your company is specializing in a specific domain or field or whatever your specialty is, how can you grow from there? Um, do you see growth horizontally, vertically? Where do you go? Well, if I knew the answer to that, uh, <laughs> we would have a much larger company. Uh, I, I think we particularly can grow uh, both geographically is one way. Um, right. And I think uh, I think just expanding market share is is a pretty easy choice to say, you know, we want to grow our existing client base in this particular area by X percent uh, within the, the the next year, for example. I think that's that's an easy target or objective uh, to to put on the board and to continue working on. Uh, obviously, you can also define a related vertical and say, okay, now we're going to move in to this particular area, uh, which is next to our, our, our expertise, but similar enough that we can acquire the experience and expertise to also go after the same kind of clientele. Uh, that's, that's another way. You mentioned growth, which is um, a keyword, a buzzword, if you will, and, and everyone is very much interested in, in hearing how to um, grow. Um, when you're building um, a sales team, uh, a business development group in your organization to to just go after a specific specialty, how do you train them? Uh, what do you tell them to go and, and maintain focus? Because it's very easy to get distracted. Yeah, uh, I, I could speak to that if we had a sales team, but but we don't. So so I, I can't really speak to that because we, as I've said, most of our business has come to us as opposed to us going out and trying to win that business. So um, it, it's a good problem to have in a certain right. way, uh, but we are not a sales focused organization uh, for good or for bad. Uh, I think that's probably for bad, but I'm not sure. Uh, it's an area that that you know has allowed me to not focus on and to focus on getting the business done. Uh, but again, that's limited our growth. So that's that's something that we need to think about focusing on uh, if if indeed we're going to be growing. How easy is it to replicate your success um, x many times over a specific period of time? Uh, that requires basically the the you know, the senior people, uh, myself, uh, and maybe one other person to do that marketing and, and eventually sales. Uh, so without a sales team, you know, it, it's you putting yourself out there. Uh, and if you build it, they will come kind of approach uh, that will bring in the additional clients. Otherwise, of course, you either have to uh, hire salespeople and or uh, find the right uh, marketing and advertising tools uh, to get the job done. Is it easier for you to to make that sale, um, let's call it a sale or, or a business deal, if you go to client X and tell them that client Y is already, you know, in your area of uh, practice specialty and I'm providing to them and I'm the only supplier to them, would you also like to take me as a supplier? In that case, is it easier as opposed to just uh, selling and marketing blindly like other companies do? It's it's it depends on your market uh, in Europe absolutely uh, in Western Europe anyways uh, it's it's much more important that a client knows you're already working with X Y Z company uh, that that gives them a lot of confidence in the U S I would say less so uh, people are less impressed by who you say you're working with uh, and and it's really just show me the money. Uh, that's that's more the experience that we've had so far. Do you have any presence in Europe at this point? Yeah, uh, I would say more than half our business is is coming out of Western Europe. So, absolutely. Uh, let's say your current specialty is doing pretty well, uh, and I think we briefly talked about this earlier. But you would also like to um, grow and take a, another piece of the pie by going after a second specialty. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you look at what's the neighboring specialty, what's what's uh, something that you're good at uh, next to what you're doing right now. How do you define that? 
I think that's an area that we're just starting to look at now uh, in terms of diversification and and seeing what other areas we want to delve into. Um, and I think at the same time, perhaps finding an area that doesn't require such hands-on expertise, something that we can automate uh, and and not be involved in to the extent we are in our day-to-day business right now. So mm-hmm. some other area, and you know, I can't I can't discuss particular uh, topics right now, but but some area that we could invest in. Uh, perhaps with a different division or a subsidiary or even a joint venture uh, right. where we can focus on something that doesn't that, that can lend itself to automation uh, where it's really going to be more volume where we'll depend on mainly advertising and marketing to get the business in uh, theoretically lower margins but much higher volumes uh, and that can run itself so to speak I think that's probably you know the unicorn out there uh, something that runs itself and makes money for you but something along those lines where where it does not require such intensive uh, hands-on care to provide the product or service I think Steve your specialty not only attracts clients from a certain demographic and industry but you also get to source or procure services from linguists specializing in that industry of your focus in your case you know lawyer linguists if revenue goes up, does it mean your cost is also expected to go up? Uh, I don't. Th- I think more or less it would stay the same. Uh, our costs are definitely higher. Uh, we pay our linguists much more than the the going average in of the course. industry. Just as just as our clients pay us more than the averages in the industry. Uh, so we're relative, we're willing. Right? Yeah, it's relative. And and you know, I tell the linguists, I say, you know, the more you can handle and think through uh, the needs of our clients, the more valuable you are to us and the more we're willing to pay you. Uh, and we say that flat out, you know, we'll, we'll pay you X rate at the beginning. Um, but, you know, if you can show that you don't need handholding, then we're willing to pay more because it takes that burden off of my staff uh, and, and me personally to know that we have a true professional working on a particular project. What advice would you like to give to language companies thinking of defining a niche or specialty? I would have I would say that it's got to be something you're naturally inclined towards. Uh, if if you're picking a niche just for the money uh, or the perceived money, it seems to me that that would be that would be much more difficult uh, a, a challenge to take on than something you're naturally interested in. And, and inclined towards. So I would say, you know, find what it is, what areas seem, as crazy as it sounds, seems fun, seems interesting, rather than just what makes the most money. Uh, because in the end, you know, it, it's not just money. Uh, you've you've got to have uh, a bit of fun in your life, things that interest you. Uh, and if you can choose, then why not go for, uh, you know, the, the more interesting aspects. Uh, as we know, you know, money only takes us so far. Well, uh, Steve, as we're reaching the end of this uh, interview, but certainly not this conversation, um, let me ask you one last question. If anyone wants to reach out to you to discuss the topics we discussed today or business in general, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? You can go to our website at juriscribe.com. Uh, you can shoot me an email at smk at juriscribe.com. Uh, you can see me on the ALC uh, channels and webinars and uh, conferences. Uh, you know, we are a founding member of the ALC, by the way, some some 20 years ago, and I've gotten involved again, uh, basically as general counsel of the Association of Language Companies. So uh, they've they've roped me back in, and uh, you know, I'm just helping them with the major legal issues that come up. And, and trying to steer them around those issues. But it's a tremendous organization, uh, and, and I think you know that. You're involved. Absolutely. And the, the, I think the, the networking and the knowledge uh, that we can find as a business person is priceless. And so any companies out there, I would strongly urge you to uh, look up the association. It's alcus.org. And uh, it's it's very little money for a lot of return. 
and so I would strongly urge everyone uh, that's in the business to join the ALC. A hundred percent. And and Steve, let me thank you on behalf of the whole industry for all your efforts that you've put in as a founder of uh, ALC and um, for providing all these legal uh, advice for this organization that's looking after us. So thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, it, it means a lot to us that we have a specialist like yourself uh, donating their time to to make this a better place for all of us. It's definitely my pleasure. And thank you. Uh, for what you're doing. I think these podcasts are tremendous. Uh, I've been listening to them and and they're priceless as well. So thank you for your help uh, with the uh, industry. I really, really appreciate that, Steve. I really had fun talking to you and learned so much, to be honest. I think your perspective is very valuable, and I believe we have been able to help um, someone in our industry make a better business decision by sharing your story. With that, let me thank you, and I hope we can do this again sometime. Terrific. Thank you. As always, I provide a quick analysis on the topic that was covered in our interview today. Steve Kahner discussed how translation companies can develop a focus and establish a specialization in an area that represents their forte and interest. I think it's important that every company must know their strengths and try to leverage those in their marketing. The analogy coming to mind is that of a retail business. You don't go to buy your glasses from an eye surgeon. Although related, they represent different specialties. Likewise, a translation company that is focused on translating highly technical medical content will not be approached by a client looking for marketing translation. You cannot be everything to everyone all the time. On the flip side, of course you will lose on those customers that require translation that falls outside your specialty. I think there is merit and certainly a lot of benefits to be known for being the go-to provider of translation for a certain type of content or languages. There you have it. My conversation with Steve Conner was as interesting as it could get. He shared some deep insights from his world of business and how he has been doing things. What I like about Steve is that he is always very frank and of course, he's very focused. I think we all recognize his efforts in the industry and it goes without saying that he has played a major role in the establishment of the Association of Language Companies that drives value and business day after day and continues to fight for a better environment for translation companies. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your platform of choice. Give us a 5-star rating and make sure to provide your comments, feedback, and constructive criticism. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.